Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content, not just the front line with Joe and Joe. And wherever you see our ugly mugs on uh, social media, YouTube, Facebook, wherever it might be, primarily YouTube at the Frontline TV, uh, you know, help us out. Do us a favor, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And today we're very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program a friend of the program, uh, Anthony DiStefano. And many of you have heard our prior interviews with Anthony DiStefano. For those of you who have not, however, a brief bio, Anthony DiStefano is an American author, television host, and activist. He's written five best-selling Christian books for adults, including A Travel Guide to Heaven and 10 Prayers God Always Says Yes To. He also has written eight best-selling books for children, including The Donkey That No One Could Ride and Little Star. Today, we're going to be discussing his new book out from Sophia Institute Press, How the Angels Got Their Wings. Yes, angels exist, and Anthony's going to talk to us all about that. Anthony DiStefano, welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, brother. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here with you guys. Thank you, Anthony. It's always a pleasure to have you. And with that, Joe Racinello. And we always start with the prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, but for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother, the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As Joe said, we love having Anthony on the show. Um, his books are great, um, but they're all, you know it's always a passionate conversation, and it's a very insightful one. I think uh, one that I always, to be honest with you, benefit from. Um, but Anthony, we we interviewed Bear Wozniak, and he said you took him to a great Italian restaurant in Staten Island. So Anthony knows good food too. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> Bears used to having food in uh, Waikiki. Yeah, He's not used to having real Italian food. Yeah, yeah. It's I pineapples love Hawaii, on pizza. but they don't make Italian food there. They do a mean roast pork, but they're not making a mean chicken parmesan. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, he spoke very highly of you, and he he said he oh. loved the meal. So I wanted to just throw that at you. You know, pineapple does not belong on pizza bear. I'm very sorry. Uh, we have <laughs> <laughs> we've cornered the market on we have that. our standards. <laughs> Uh, with that said, we'll talk about our book. Um, and you know, obviously, you know, angels, people don't like think about that. I don't think about it enough. Um, is that why you felt like you had to write this book? I, I, I should think about my guardian angel more and I don't. Right. Well, we'll talk about that for sure, because that's a problem I think a lot of people have. Um, but the reason I wrote the book, you know, the short 
reason, for, the short answer for that is that the story of the angels is very compelling. It's very entertaining. And you want that in a children's book. You know, it's got everything. It's got the battle between good versus evil. It's got interesting characters like Satan and uh, the archangels, Michael and Gabriel, and the guardian angels. You know, it's much better than the cartoon ca cartoons that children watch on TV, uh, much better than the Marvel comic book movies that they're so enthralled with. But of course, it's got the added adventure of being a true story. Angels are real. They're not make-believe. They're not fairy tales. Uh, and the invisible world, is real. That's something we should talk about later on, too. And it's good ch for children to learn that so that they don't become atheist materialists uh, like the rest of the society. Uh, and the final reason I wrote it is because not only is it a good story and an entertaining story and a true story, but angels can really help children and they can really help adult adults. They can help us in our lives. And this is a tough, a tough life that we're living. We need all the help that we can get. So I think uh, for all those reasons, I wanted to write a, a simple yet comprehensive book that would introduce ch to children to these incredible, uh, incredible creations of God called angels. Yeah, we do. Uh, we do obviously every week in the creed say, you know, we believe in God, creator of all things visible and invisible. Sometimes I think people overlook that. Like you said, there, there is this invisible realm. We can't see it, but we know that it, we know that it exists. Um, but let's very quickly, Anthony DiStefano joining us to the front line with Joe and Joe, Anthony's new book, how the angels got their wings. Let's define our sure. terms. So how does the Catholic Church define exactly what an angel is? And you alluded to guardian angels. I mean, do we all have a personal guardian angel assigned to us? Yes. Well, the, the word angel, it's a Greek, comes from a Greek word that means messenger. And according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church and to many, uh, you know, and to, to all the great uh, Catholic doctors down through the ages, angels are pure spiritual beings of great power uh, who have an intellect and a free will made in the image and likeness of God like us. They were created by God uh, to help him carry out uh, his will. How so? Well, the specific job of angels is uh, to proclaim God's truth, uh, to provide consolation, uh, sometimes to provide punishment, uh, to serve as messengers. Uh, angels can influence us to do good. They can inspire us with creative thoughts and inspirations. They can guide us according to God's will, and they could also act as guardians and sometimes even save us from, from danger, uh, sometimes. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, too. But uh, as far as guardian angels go, yes, it is a doctrine of the Catholic Church that every single human being has a special angel appointed to them from the moment they are conceived until uh, their death. That stays, uh, this angel stays with us throughout our life. Now, this is implied uh, in many places uh, in Scripture. Uh, in Psalm 91, for instance, in the Bible, um, it says, for God commands his angels to guard over you wherever you go. Uh, in Matthew 18, 10, Jesus tells his disciples uh, famously, you know, see, see that you do not despise one of these little children, for I say to you that their angels in heaven always look upon the face of my heavenly father, their angels, not just the angels. And in uh, the, the uh, Acts 12, 15, Peter just freed from uh, uh, prison, 
just freed from prison by an angel, goes to a, a house and, and, and they say it was his angel who freed him. His angel. Again, not the angel, but his angel. So the catechism says that from infancy to, to death, uh, humans are surrounded by their, their angels, their guardian angels, uh, watchful uh, care and intercession. So yes, it's a doctrine of our faith and children should know this doctrine from the very beginning for many reasons, but one of, one of the reasons is that they should know that they're never really alone. You know, they're, they're, not only do they have the protection of God and the saints, but they also have their very own guardian angel who's watching over them and helping them in times of trouble. Absolutely. And, and yeah. heaven knows we need all the help oh, we can Lord. get. <laughs> I know I know, I do. <laughs> so I want to um, throw an idea at both of you guys, and just in terms of, like I, like I admitted, I, I never really thought about my guardian angel until uh, a priest told me you should name your guardian angel. I, I never what, thought of that, but well, and I did. Uh, to be honest, I, I did. I named him after, believe it or not, this is kind of wacky, but uh, it was a homeless man who I used to know. I used to have coffee with him at the train station. He went to my church and I used to talk to Daly and he died of a heart attack and I named him after him. So I, I did that. And I always think he was a holy man. And I think of my life um, before I, I came into my faith at 22 there were times I was trying to do something bad as a young man, and things would get screwed up. Like, And then sometimes if I persisted, it's almost like God just said, fine, then have it your way. Do you think my guardian angel was getting in the mix there and screwing it up? Because I like there were times I was like trying to do something bad, and, and it's almost like – the snowball was getting shaken always like it would it wouldn't it, would, it wouldn't happen it wouldn't happen it wouldn't happen and then all of a sudden it did happen because i persevered and it was almost like god just said then fine fine and he backed the guardian angel off what are your thoughts on that well you said a lot there and let's take it one at a time first on this idea of naming your angel now this was something that in my first book was a big bestseller called the travel guide to heaven published all over the world, 17 different languages, and uh, received an imprimatur and all the rest, uh, published by Random House. And in that book, I wrote a chapter on angels, and I advocated for naming your angels too. I said, well, this is a way to personalize your angel, so it's not so, so unfamiliar. You know? and, the and I got that idea from Mother Angelica of EWTN, who had a very close relationship with her guardian angel, and told her viewers to name their, their angels. Now, I do want to say that subsequent to that, the Vatican did issue an encyclical, not an encyclical, it, it, it issued a, a paper, uh, I don't know exactly, I forget what level it was, in which it recommended that people not name their guardian angels. And the reason why the Vatican recommended that was because it thought that it, um, it might trivialize the importance of angels. You might have people naming angels silly names or na naming them like they name their pets, uh, you know, thinking of them as pets. So, uh, so subsequent to that, I asked the EWTN and they said, well, they think that, and I brought up the fact that Mother Angelica named her angels and their response was, well, we think had she known of this, uh, this Vatican, uh, you know, paper that she, she would not have advocated for that. So that's where we are on the question of that. I don't think it's any big. No, but it's good to know. I'm glad you said it. To be honest, I didn't yeah, I know. I, I didn't know that. It, it, but it, yes, and you can look it up if you. Google I believe you. What's the name of the Vatican uh, paper and what? And I'm sorry, I don't remember what level it was at. Uh, in any case, though, but what you said after that was so important because 
it has to do really with you know the whole meaning of creation uh and and the whole meaning of of uh of, of the angels and what their power limits are. Angels are not magicians. They don't wave their magic uh, wand and things change. Nothing, nothing overrides our free will. God did not make a race of computers. He did not make a race of automatrons, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, some kind of uh, uh, robots. He didn't make that. He, we have a free will. Angels have a free will. And so, yes, he'll try to influence us through the angels and through grace and through our friends and through a million different ways, influence, influence us to do good. But if we are hell-bent on you know following our will and not God's will he's not going to stop us and as a result of that there is going to be a lot of you know problems in the world a lot of suffering a lot of you know terrorist attacks and things like that that we could talk about later so angels will not uh, cannot magically override free will no even god doesn't do that so if god doesn't do that and if god himself gives us the power to do evil then of course angels will will We'll have to do what God says too and stand back, as you said. Thank you for that. Anthony Stefano joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosanello. Way in the breach. The book is How the Angels Got Their Wings. That's out from Sophia Institute Press. Anthony, real quick, uh, obviously people could buy the book on the website, Sophia's website. Uh, where else can they buy it? You know, I've been very blessed. My distribution is pretty wide. It's at uh, naturally Amazon and Barnes and Noble, uh, Priest for Life, EWTN Religious Catalog. And we always like to put a plug in there for local Catholic bookstores. You know, those little mom and pop stores are very, very important. And so I always encourage people to seek out their Catholic bookstore. And my and I think they carry pretty much all my books. Absolutely. And I, I, we can't stress at the front line, Anthony, the importance of supporting our publishers, our bookstores, our writers. Um, I mean, there's a lot to read out there. Why don't we just stick to reading about our Catholic faith, which is what we're doing with you. And, and so and one thing I just want to uh, I want to give another plug in to Sophia. It is an incredible publisher. They are orthodox. They are terrific. The whole level of everybody from the top down is just fantastic. It's a tremendous publisher. So if you want to go to that website and check out not just my book, but all the great books there, I think that's a great idea. It is. It is. Now, Anthony DiStefano, let me ask you this. I know you wrote a book a while back on atheism, which down the road, I definitely want to have you on our social media show. And we'll talk about that. But let's talk about the the um, the atheist for a minute. I think me personally, Again, I'm not trying to be disparaging. I think that, you know, when you think of someone like Thomas Aquinas, um, I, I don't think as someone of like um, of the ilk of uh, Sam Harris or, or, or Daniel Dennett or, or any of those guys are even on the same planet as, a, as, a, as someone like a thinker an intellectual like Aquinas, okay? But Aquinas had something to say because the, the atheist dismisses, oh, you believe in those superstitions, if not, not just as it pertains to angels, but also as it pertains to God himself. But Aquinas... Uh, often referred to as the angelic doctor wrote about angels. What did he have to say about them? Well, you know, you know, your questions are so good that I can't even, I have to, I have to address the first part of your question first <laughs> because they're just so juicy that I just, so if you don't mind, I'm glad we please, have a little Please, please, please. It's so funny. It's so ironic that atheists call Christians superstitious. And meanwhile, atheists are the biggest believers in superstition. They, it, to be a dyed-in-the-wool atheist is to have a tremendous amount of faith because nothing that they believe is based on science. Think about it. They believe that everything in life uh, is a result of, of matter, of atoms and molecules. That means everything, you know, all our deepest desires, all our art, 
all our uh, uh, politics, all our loves, all our hates, all our wars, all our governments, um, all our sculptures, all our music, all our laughter, all our deepest uh, beliefs in immortality, all of these things uh, are the result of the random movement of atoms and molecules in a lifeless ether. Uh, that, that, that's superstition. That's a There's fairy no tale. for that at all. Yeah, it's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale. It's and and uh, they can't explain how life came from lifelessness. They can't explain how something came from nothing. Right. They can't explain anything. And yet they 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 claim the the flag of science. And they don't know. For instance, they're so ignorant. They don't even know that the Big Bang theory of the universe was formulated by a Roman Catholic priest, right. Father right. George Lemaitre, a Belgian astronomer. They don't know the whole science of genetics comes from a, 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 a Father Gregor Mendel, mm -hmm. uh, a Roman Catholic, uh, you know, scientist. Uh, so, so they're ignorant about everything. But that's a different story, and we could talk about it. When we oh, talk we're going to have you back on for that one. That's going to be a barn burner. But go because ahead. That I, that's a very tough book. That atheist book, you know, against the atheists. It's, it's a yeah. real takedown of them. In, as far as Thomas Aquinas goes, he's known as the angelic doctor, not only because he wrote so much about angels. But also because he he wrote it with the intellectual power and insight of an angel, you know. So that's why they call him the angelic doctor, and he's one of those uh, theologians who defined what angels were, which we talked about before: pure spirit made it uh, in the image and likeness of God with an intellect and free will. Uh, he talked a lot about the logical symmetry of creation, this harmony. You know, you have God doesn't create things haphazardly. There's pure uh, matter. Then there's pure spirit. And in between those, you have, you know, matter that has spirit, like the animals. And then there's animals, then there's there's living creatures that have a spirit made in the image and likeness of God. So he he talked about this hierarchy a lot. But the most important thing he said about the angels was this, and this is what most people don't know: that angels are so different from one another. They're so each angel is so different from every other angel as to constitute its own species. In other words, you know, the difference between us and say a dog is great or us and a monkey or us and a cow. That's how great the difference is between one angel and another. Each angel has its own personality that's very tremendously different. And that's important for us to know because we tend to group angels into one, you know, category. They're all white with flowing robes. And we don't realize that they have their own lives and they have their own quote unquote personalities. And this was something that Thomas Aquinas said that was mind boggling. It is. It's absolutely fascinating. Anthony DiStefano joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Please go out and buy his book, How the Angels Got Their Wings. Joe Resinello. Well, we all know the, the story. Uh, it's a wonderful life. You know, it shows like an angel takes on human form. I mean, it's a classic. Uh, is that correct? Does the church say something about that? Can an angel take on like the, a human form and help a person? Yes, we see that in the Bible in various places. In the book of Tobit, the angel, the archangel Raphael, takes the form of a man and to become the traveling camp companion for, uh, for Tobias, Tobit's son, and uh, his name is Azariah, but he's, he's in the form of a man. Uh, the angels who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, before they destroyed that town, they visited and they were in the form of, of, of men. Um, 
St. Paul says in the second Corinthians that the devil has the power to, as, to assume the form of an angel, an angel of light, you know? So, so there we see that angels have the, uh, that, that, that angels, whether they're demons or angels have the power to assume these, these shapes. Um, and it can be a scary thing, but also can be a, you know, a very, uh, uh, helpful way for us to look at the invisible world, as we were talking about before. In the fact, the famous letter to the Hebrews, um, St. Paul, if he's the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, he said that we should show hospitality to strangers because we might be showing hospitality to an angel unaware. In other words, sometimes, you know, when you see that homeless beggar on the street, he might actually be an angel, you know? So it encourages us you know, to know about the corporal uh, and spiritual works of mercy and to be generous to the poor. So yes, angels can take the form of humans. We don't know when, we don't know how often, it's, but we do see it in the Bible. I, I want to also throw out like in life, like I could think of my own life, um, particularly like when I backpacked, I went by myself. Um, I can remember coming into a town, not knowing where I was at night. And I can remember one instance specifically, actually a couple times, people would help me. I would ask somebody and they would go out of their way to help me, stranger. And you think, do you think that potentially could be an, an angel or somebody in your life? We all think of how our life, just a stranger in an, like you ask somebody and they just go out of their way to help you. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I think that uh, they could be angels, but um, more likely because we are in this world and uh, so there are so many human beings, I think that God works through human beings and he gives grace to human beings. And there are human beings out there, despite how terrible the world is and how many, how, how it's, you know, we could sit all show and talk about the examples of how many bad things are in the world. There are still many people who are trying to be Christ-like. Uh, and, and so those people who help others when their, you know, car breaks down and they help change the flat tire yeah. in the middle of the night. So it could be an angel. It could be a human being. One thing is important about this though. And that's that it gives us an insight about how God works. He uses us to help us. He doesn't just wave that magic wand. Like I said, whether it's an angel that helps us or whether it's another human being who's just kind-hearted, who's helping us, he wants us to help us. And that ties into that beautiful doctrine of the communion of saints, because the saints in heaven are praying for us. We're praying for the souls in purgatory. The angels are helping us. Human beings are praying for and helping each other. It's the way that God uh, wants us to live because it expresses love. It's really a reflection of God himself the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that constant giving back and forth of love. That's really the model for the, the, create, the, the world that he's created. So we don't know whether it's angels or human beings all the time, but we know that it's, a, it's, it's the right thing that's happening, that we're helping each other. Absolutely. Thank, thank you for that, Anthony Stefano. Anthony, let's, you know, Hollywood, Hollywood bastardizes our religion all the time. Okay. So, and, 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 and the angels are, are no exception, you know, the way they portray these, these so-called wars in heaven and things like that. But, but the church does teach in other words, as, as part of salvation history that no, 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 there, there, there was a moment in time, you know, after the angels were created that they did rebel. And right. there was a and there was a battle. There's a reason why we pray to St. Michael um, after mass. Talk about that. Talk about the the expulsion or and the things that led to the expulsion from heaven. 
Yes. Well, we know that, uh, as we said before, God created humans, uh, did not create uh, robots. He created us with free will. He created angels with free will. He gave them a choice, too. There was a period of testing for the angels. We don't know much about it, but they had the choice to love and obey God or to reject God. And we know that some of them, under the leadership of uh, an angel known as Satan or the devil or Lucifer, chose not to obey God, chose instead to rebel against God. Um, and the phrase that the Bible uses, a war in heaven, obviously it couldn't be a war like we see today. It's not with you know weapons because the angels are purely spiritual beings. Therefore, the war had to be purely spiritual. It had to be a war of the intellect, a war of minds, a war of wills. That was the war. And uh, in that war, uh, the angel, the archangel Michael, as you said, was instrumental in casting uh, Satan out of, of heaven uh, and down to the earth, down to hell. So, um, so the word war, you don't, we don't want to let people think that there were tanks and guns and bazookas and things like that. It was a, a quiet war, an intellectual war. Uh, but yet, nonetheless, there was a rebellion. And we don't exactly know the reason. We think it was because of pride. The devil uh, in the book of Isaiah says, I will raise my throne above the stars and be like God. In other words, he was prideful. He was jealous of God, wanted to be like God. The name Lucifer actually means morning star. So there's been speculation over the centuries that the devil actually was the most powerful angel, uh, that he was the smartest angel. Remember, all angels are different from each other. And so he, had, he was a very special angel indeed. And he, uh, because of that, was very prideful and was jealous. Perhaps he knew something of the incarnation was going to happen later and was jealous of that human beings were going to be blessed with having God become one of them. We don't know the exact reason, but he rebelled and he excluded himself from the kingdom of heaven. I want to I explore love that a little bit, actually. Like, I love, I, I think of this for myself, because he's, I will not serve. That's at the heart of that battle. I will not serve. And I think that's the battle we each have. We either serve God or we serve the world, which is the devil. And I always think that to myself, like when I have to make a choice, a choice, I have to serve. And I think this is why, and I'm interested in your thoughts, why people turn from God. They don't want to serve. They want to serve themselves. We want to serve our selfishness. That's not what's about what it's about to follow Jesus, to be a disciple. I will not serve. What are your thoughts on that? And Anthony, if you don't mind, as a follow-up to that, we have a couple minutes before the break. Also talk about the humility of Michael, because obviously we're talking about pride and Michael's humility in, in, in this in this drama. Yes. Well, well, you know, one of the reasons why this is a children's book, by the way, is I want children to get this idea, these big theological concepts that you're talking about here, which are good for, for of course, necessary for adults uh, to, to take in and understand the idea that we all want to do our will rather than God's will. This inclination to selfishness, which is always there, is something that children experience, too. Sure. You know, I mean, there are a lot of children running around who are like little demons, you know, they could instead of playing nice, they uh, they throw temper tantrums. You know, we see it from the earliest age. There's a reason why uh, God gave us guardian angels, uh, why he gave little children guardian angels is because the demons are working on them, too. The devil wants 
you know, nothing but bad things for your children. So from a very early age, he would like uh, children to habitualize this self-love to such an, to such a point that, uh, that, that they, they eventually make the final choice against God and for themselves and against God's will and go to hell. So, and again, opposite the devil, opposite that figure of the devil, we have the figure of Arch, the archangel Michael, who was loyal to God. And even though he himself was a very, very powerful angel, he chose to, uh, um, while he certainly loved himself, it's not a sin to love yourself, he made that uh, uh, subordinate to his love of God and his obedience to God. So those lessons for children and adults there. I, I, we have to take a break. Anthony DeStefano joining us on the front line with Joe and Joe. I'm always to this day, and I've heard it a million times to this day, I'm, I'm so moved every time I hear who is like God? Because I think that that should, you know, if Michael said it, and you know, and uh, you know, it's it's the essence of humility. Who is like God? And at that moment, Satan and the rest of them were cast out. Um, and I, I try to keep that in my mind when I think about, you know, we fight our political battles, our culture wars, and all of that. At the end of the day, like Joe Rasinello always says, we have to turn to God because. Who is like God? If, um, if Michael and, was from New Jersey, he would have said, "Who are you?" That's what he would have said. <laughs> let's take a let's take a break. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We're having a great conversation, as we always do, with Anthony DeStefano. His new book is out from Sophia Institute Press. How the angels got their wings. So uh, this is great. We have another segment. We'll be right back. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, and we are on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network at The Frontline with Joe and Joe. So we're with Anthony DeStefano, a good friend of the show. We're discussing his new book out from Sophia Institute Press, How the Angels Got Their Wings. Joe Racinello, where do you want to go? Anthony, we talked a little bit about Michael. We mentioned Raphael. Let's talk about Gabriel and what is an archangel, because those are the three. Uh, I think that's important, and we can kind of take it from there. Sure. Well, Archangel refers to an order or class of uh, angels. There seems to be some sort of a hierarchy among the angels. We Again, we don't know about it, but uh, in one of the uh, letters of St. Paul, we have the, the nine orders of angels actually listed, seraphim, cherubim, 
thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, principalities, archangels, and angels. We don't really know much about those. Uh, we just know that they're all very powerful. And archangels seem to be the most important angels when it comes to getting involved in human history, in helping mankind. Gabriel, of course, made you know the, uh, the Annunciation to Mary about the Incarnation, St. Raphael, the archangel who cured Tobit from blindness, and now... Um, um, you wanted to talk about, and you want to speak specifically about Gabriel, I think. No, yeah, he, Gabriel is the messenger, am I correct? Yes, he's the messenger, and we know him primarily from the infancy narratives uh, because he foretells the birth of John the Baptist to Zachariah, and he foretells the birth of Jesus at the Annunciation uh, to Mary. So uh, he's known as the messenger. And even in the, he's not specifically mentioned in the book of Revelation, we know that before the world is going to be destroyed, there will be a trumpet blast. And because, and even though Gabriel's name isn't mentioned, because he has played such a significant role in announcing and heralding the birth of Jesus and John the Baptist, he traditionally has been the person, the angel who we think will be the one to blow the horn before the end of the world. So if you think about it, this is a very important angel for us because, well, the patron saint of communication, so many people today are experience social anxiety when it comes to speaking in public. Uh, children, especially, I mean, this world, think about the, uh, the cell phones and the smartphones and the, and the games that they play. Everything is so internalized. We've never been in an age, uh, there's never been an age of so such social anxiety before. And St. Gabriel is a good uh, angel companion for children to, to pray to. I know when I come on television shows like yours, even though I've done many of them, it's always a little bit nerve wracking. And I don't know if it is for you, but St. Gabriel is the patron saint for all communications, including the kind that, that you do right now, the kind that we're doing right now. Awesome. That, that, that's good to know. I'm going to start praying to St. Gabriel before we go, before we do every show. Um, but I didn't know yeah, that. And by I want to say one other thing. He also, as a writer, I love St. Gabriel because he wrote half the Hail Mary. The, oh, he that, uttered that, the words right. in the Hail Mary. And so that's, a you know, one of the greatest prayers of all time. It's still recited every single day all over the world. So he's a great writer. It's, it's funny you mentioned that about the Hail Mary. I, I always think in my mind is like, you know, I don't understand the Protestant objections to the Hail Mary. The first half of it is straight out of scripture. It's right there. If you're so Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and the mother of God, I forgot which council that was, the Theotokos, whichever council, that early church council. So right. you, got, you got scripture and early church council. What's wrong with that prayer? Okay. Anyway, Anthony DeStefano's here with us at the front line with Joe and Joe. So Anthony, um, so you illustrate, uh, or you had the book illustrated. Um, talk about the il illustration. Um, and also one of the images that I, Joe found interesting when he was doing research was that you portray uh, one of the angels as a, as a beggar. Uh, found yeah. that pretty interesting. Talk about that. Talk about the illustrations in the book and also that that particular image, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, the, the illustrator for this book is a, is a Cuban-born uh, uh, Canadian named Antonio Javier Caparo. Oh, he sounds awesome. uh, a little Love Italian, it. but not. <laughs> he's Cuban. Uh, and he's worked for National Geographic and Disney and all the major publishers. He's specialized in, uh, uh, before this book, in uh, doing fantasy books, science fiction books, but also very super realistic books. And that's what I wanted here. I wanted the angels to have a kind of superhero type quality because they are so powerful. But at the same time, I didn't want them to be overly cartoonish. I did not want them to be like comic book characters, Marvel comic book characters. But at the same time, they had it look very, very powerful. And uh, so this combination of 
being super strong and powerful and at the same time realistic. I had to find an artist who could do that. I also had to find an artist who could paint these big panoramic scenes, like the creation of the universe, the creation of life, as at the beginning of this book. There's a beautiful, it's like Michelangelo, you know, the creation of the, the heavens. Someone who could do that and at the same time paint small, intimate pictures, like of a child under a Christmas tree, let's say. So it's a very, I had to find a very special artist who could do all these very different kinds of things. And I think Antonio did a great job uh, because I have gotten nothing but positive feedback on this book. Awesome. And the image of the angel as the beggar. Sure. Well, in Hebrews 13, um, I mentioned this passage before. Uh, it says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, many people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And now that passage has always captivated my imagination because angels do come to earth uh, in disguise, you know, and it and helps us all to remember that we have to help, that we have to help the poor. Uh, we have to know about these corporal works of mercy. Uh, and it helps remind everyone that there is an invisible world, which we mentioned earlier too. Uh, and it's a real world. It's not a, some make-believe world. And this is important to deal with in our age when so many people are drawn to uh, materialism and secularism. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Anthony DiStefano joining us here at the front line, the new book, How the Angels Got Their Wings, Sophia Institute Press. Go buy the book. Joe Resinello. Anthony, one of the many reasons why we love having you on is, I mean, it's very obvious, you know, your Bible. Um, it's impressive, actually. Uh, and also, uh, to be truthful with you, this book is is orthodox. It's it's theologically orthodox. I think that's very important for for parents out there who are going to buy it for their kids. You're, you're getting the real deal. I mean, clearly, you're well read, you know, your faith. Um, but just, you know, a question, do you vet this? You mentioned one book had the imprimatur, which is when the church stamps it and says, you know, it's good to go. Um, that's in layman's terms, a bishop says, you know, it's good to go. But uh yeah, like, no, you, but layman's terms around here. <laughs> but but like, do you like vet these ideas? Like, like, like obviously you know a lot, but like with friends of yours who are sure. priests, bishops, that type of thing. This book yeah, well, particularly. My brother, uh, Salvatore, is a Roman Catholic priest in the Archdiocese of New York. He's in the Bronx. He's got two parishes, Father Sal de Stefano, great, great priest now. I did uh, not know that. That's interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's my <laughs> I'm the I'm where bookends. I'm the oldest of five. He's the youngest of five. And he's been a priest, so I could always speak to him. I've worked with a group called Priests for Life now for 30 years, and that's a, a pro-life group. And Father Frank Pavone, who's the head of that group, is you know, a very controversial figure because he's out there aggressively fighting abortion all the time. The guy is also a genius when it comes to all things theological. And so I could always vet things with him. You know, He's been the uh, valedictorian of every single class he's ever been in. Um, also, I'm very close to the folks at EWTN. I've, I'm on there regularly for every single one of my books and they have an incredible theology department there. The head of it is Colin Donovan, and he's vetted my books, even the children's books. Before I go on there, they have to vet them. Um, I'm a Knight of Malta, and I do a lot of work with the Vatican, so I have, I'm blessed to have a lot of friends, uh, archbishops and cardinals even, who have, who have endorsed my books in the past, and so I will always try to get them copies uh, first and ask them what they think of the book. Did I leave anything out? Is there anything that was meaningful to you about angels or this or demons or atheism that I should include? So I always try to do that before I actually write the book. 
No, that that's awesome. Anthony, you mind like a like a little bit of a curveball question off topic from the book because you mentioned priests for life and and in the yeah. in your bio I mentioned you're an activist. Yeah. Um, briefly, not, not an extensive conversation. What are your thoughts about the path forward now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned? Uh, well, first of all, I think it's an incredible uh, <clears throat> milestone on the road to end abortion because that's the 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 goal here is to end abortion to make abortion unthinkable. And that sounds like it would require a great miracle, but we've already got sort of a miracle, which was the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which I didn't think would happen in my lifetime. Uh, but it's not the final goal, okay? Roe versus Wade being overturned didn't, didn't make abortion illegal in the land, okay? What it did do was it, it took the, the, the chilling effect. Roe versus Wade had a chilling effect on the, on the whole country in terms of people uh, weren't allowed to go out there and enact state laws against abortion uh, after a certain age, after viability. Uh, but now, with Roe versus Wade overturned, every single state, the pro-life organizations in every single state, can begin trying to enact uh, pro-life restrictions. So it took this terrible, you know, chilling, uh, you know, uh, cloud that was hanging over this movement for so long. And it gave us, it gives us a great freedom now uh, to, to start really battling out, battling it out in the, in the states. And so I think it's an extremely positive thing, but, but it's important for people not to think that, oh, our job is done because Roe versus Wade was overturned. No, our job has just begun. Right. That, that, I, I, I wanted your opinion on that. I wanted your view on that. Cause I think yes. it's important. Joe and I try to emphasize on the show all the time, you know, like, like, after the Battle of Britain, you know, Churchill said, you know, like, no, this is the this is the end of the beginning, the beginning, obviously, going back 50 years to 1973. This is the end but, of the beginning. But it's we're we're, and, we're still at that first port. And let's if you don't mind. And, and I, I, this is a, the reason why this this is a very important thing to talk about is because this is a spiritual battle. Abortion is a spiritual. That's battle. where I was going. That's where I was going. Just, you know, and, you know, the you know, the proof of it. There's a couple of proofs, but just look. What, what are the what are what are the most what are the words that that they use to just that people use to justify abortion? This is my body. You can't do any. This, you can't touch my body. It's my body. I can do whatever I want with it. Those are the same words. This is my body that Jesus Christ used to teach the meaning of love. This is my body. It's the, the very same words that the abortion movement uses to justify abortion. This is my body. They're spoken from opposite ends of the universe. And it has to do with the devil. The devil is mocking God. He always mocks God. And so the argument he gives to the pro-aborts, this is my body, is the very same most beautiful teaching in the world, the teaching on the Eucharist. Okay, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The society today says, no, 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 we are the Alpha and the Omega. We control life at the beginning through abortion and at the end through euthanasia. We're the Alpha and the Omega. So this is a spirit. You have to be blind not to see that this is a very profound spiritual battle going on. And so that's why Roe versus Wade is not going to just simply change that. You know, the devil hates God. And this is the key. He can't do anything to hurt God because God is almighty. So what does he do? What's his tactic? He tries to hurt that which is made in the image and likeness of God, human beings. He does the next best thing by, uh, by, by, by destroying human beings, by killing us physically, and by helping us to lose our souls. He offends God. 
And that's what he wants. That's the only kind of twisted pleasure he can really have. Absolutely. Well, that, I, I'm glad I asked you that, Anthony. I really, like you said, you, you know, you're an activist. You work with Priest for Life, and your viewpoint on this, um, you know, has a lot of weight. So thank you for that. Thank Joe Rosanello. I think that was an important conversation because at the root of abortion, a lot of reasons why women have abortion is they feel alone. And one of the, the purposes of this book um, is to show children that they're never alone. Um, let's talk about that. We talked about it a little bit on the other segment, but our angels are here to tell us uh, there's so many people who feel alone in this world. And there's consequences to that. Abortion is one of them. A woman feels isolated. The family they, is great. Please they, talk they, about they, that, because I think sure. that's so important about this book. We are not alone. That's and right. our that's angels right. accompany us. Please tell, tell us about it. Sure. And to, and to follow up, that women have abortion not because they feel, not because of freedom of choice, but because they feel they have no freedom and no choice. They feel very isolated. And that's important to know. But yeah, the, 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 look, the whole family structure is breaking down for many reasons. Um, there are attacks on the family obviously, from the secular society. Uh, the, the devil knows that the family is, the, is this, the, the building block of all society. It's a reflection of God's, God's very life, the Trinity. There are attacks on the family. The economic problems with our society make it necessary sometimes for uh, most times for the, there to be two working parents. Uh, John Paul II prayed that that wouldn't have to be the case, uh, but it is. So now you have parents that are scattered. You have these technological advances, which have uh, I mentioned before about games and smartphones and children becoming more and more internalized. They are more turned to themselves. I don't know if you've ever seen a group of children. There could be five of them on a couch, but they're all their heads are into their cell phones playing their games. Um, and that creates a tremendous sense of isolation, which leads to social anxiety. And, and the problem is. Joe, that while everyone feels more alone, the problems, the suffering, that's not going to let up. That's going to continue. There's going to be more suffering. People are going to continue to get diseases. People are going to continue to get hit by cars. People are going to continue to get divorced. There's continue to be uh, tragedies and rapes and sexual abuse. And in, when all those problems take place and all that suffering occurs, how much worse is it going to be for us when we feel alone and isolated and we feel abandoned and we feel like we have no one? We are carrying it all by ourselves. It's a terrible formula for extraordinary, profound suffering and despair. So while we work on trying to cure those problems and the suffering, what we also have to do is try to cure the loneliness problem. And one of the benefits of being a Christian, a believing Christian, is that you know deep in your bones, if you have a strong faith, that you're never alone, that you have God, that you have God's mother, that you have all the saints in heaven, that you have the angels, that you have guardian angel that's just yours, and that you have all these human beings out there made in the image and likeness of God, who, if you ask through prayer for their help, God will send them to you. So you have all of this, you know, this access to help all this access to people, and, and, and that is something that doesn't cure the suffering, but can help you get through the suffering. Yeah, well, what you said about the kids, like, sitting there with their, uh, 
you know, with their faces in the phones and all that. And I don't blame them. The parents are the ones that should make sure that those kids don't have them. I just remember when we were kids, the same, if it was us, we'd be in the playground playing two hand touch football, you know, five on five, you know, like, you know, it's with community and interaction and friendship, not every, you know, a bunch of kids in a room just with their, their faces and their phones. That's why what you're doing and writing books, not just, how the Angels Got Their Wings, available at Sophia Institute Press, but also all your other books that are geared towards children to strengthen kids. I, I have a foster son who, God willing, in the next year is going to be our legal son, okay? He ain't getting a cell phone. You know, he's 13. Or is it, you know, he goes to school. He get, everybody's got, no, he ain't getting one. You're going to read. I want him to read Anthony DiStefano's books is what I is what I want him to do. No, I'm being serious because that's, like you said, you, you and Joe just alluded to isolation, to, to, to loneliness, all those things that lead to all these problems that we have, all right? Um, and, 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 you, you, and Zuckerberg and the rest of them pitch it that, well, if you just let them get involved in social media, that could bring, that's community. That's not community. That's me staring at a bunch of pixels on my phone. It's a ridiculous argument. It's a demonic argument. I like your comments on that, Anthony. Yes. I mean, we have to be careful here because, you know, the internet, um, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, the internet and uh, all these modern advances in technology, they can be of great use to Christians. Uh, there's no doubt that if St. Paul were here today, he would be using every possible means available to him to spread the gospel, everything. He'd be using everything. And so as Christians, as Catholics, we have to take advantage of that technology. And we, I don't think we could just label it as, you know, the devil's work, uh, because then what will happen? Then the opposition will use it and to propagandize and to brainwash children, and we won't be using it. So we have to realize the great, great power. But we also have, it's just like riches, actually. You know, God warns against riches. It's not because money is bad. Money can be very, very good. But God knows that money is dangerous. You know, it can make, uh, make you feel like you don't have to depend on God anymore. And, and meanwhile, you do. It's the same thing with the internet and all these technological advances. They're very, very dangerous. Um, and, you know, not, you know, there's so many reasons why they're dangerous. One of them is what we just said. It increases the isolation and loneliness. Uh, the other thing it, it does is it actually decreases willpower. This is a very interesting argument. When you are involved in games all the time and you are playing games and you are fantasizing about some fictional characters, you're actually decreasing the power of your own will because you're not living in your own body with your own will making choices. You're living in this fantasy world. You know, and uh, you know, you're playing these games and you're, 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 you're sort of divorced from yourself. And so when the time comes for you to make hard decisions about things and to resist evil, you're not as able to do that because your willpower has been decreased. You, you, you de-energize your whole system when you spend your time being a different person, whether it's through bad fantasies or by spending an overt amount of time, an, uh, an excessive amount of time involved with all these kinds of computer games. Awesome. I mean, hell, it, it, it destroys the will. It destroys the soul on every level. Yeah, I, I'm glad you qualified that for me, Anthony, um, because uh, I, I do remember Father Karab, used to say it with that voice of his. He used to say, the devil uses technology. We should, too. Um, but with that, Joe Resinello, where do you want to go? Well, I want to talk a little bit about the mass, um, which is the source and summit of our faith, the highest prayer. I mean, sadly, and I don't mean to bring up a sore point for Catholics, I mean, people aren't going to mass, and that's sad. 
Um, but if we only knew what was happening at the consecration, I've seen paintings of it uh, where there are angels that are surrounding, uh, you know, it's Christ on the cross. It's Golgotha. Um, and at my church, there's two angels next to the tabernacle, statues of them. Talk about that, because I think the more, uh, obviously, the, the mind and the heart have to be one to see what that is. But I think if we illustrate that with words, I think maybe it could open some uh, some eyes. What do you think, Ant? What was, what's going on at that consecration with regard to angels? Wow. Again, such a loaded, packed question. I, uh, the ma- People don't understand. The Mass is a time machine. When those doors shut to Mass, it is a time machine. It doesn't transport us back in time. What it does is it takes the moment of Christ's crucifixion. It takes the, 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 the cross of Christ and it transports that moment 2,000 years ago mystically to the present moment so that when the priest raises that host and says, this is my body, it is actually the same crucifixion that took place 2,000 years ago. If you closed your eyes at mass during those, that, that moment of consecration, you, would not, well, you are not experiencing the crucifixion any less than Our Lady did and, and John the Apostle did on Golgotha 2,000 years ago. And neither do they experience the crucifixion any more than people who go to mass. The mass is a time machine. People don't understand that. Now, it's an invisible reality, and that goes back to what we were speaking about before, all the different invisible uh, things that are going on. And it's our job as catechists to teach people about this. And one of the things having to do with uh, angels is simply this, that that the Eucharist is the, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. It's really Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is really God. And where God is, the angels are there worshiping. So if you have Jesus Christ there on the cross, you're going to have not just one angel, you're going to have thousands of angels there. Again, on that altar, when the priest says those words of consecration, you have to close your eyes sometimes and try to imagine the real scene. In, 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 real, in, in reality, thousands of angels are on that altar prostrate before the Blessed Sacrament. It's hard to, for us to imagine that because we hear people sneezing and bad music and cars out there honking and people not paying attention. That's why sometimes you just have to close your eyes and, and, and try to imagine the true reality that is going on at that moment. Thousands and thousands of angels worshiping the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. But you're alluding to the invisible world. And I think the way to open our eyes, because Christ is, is in front of us constantly, particularly in the poor, when we, when we help them, um, we open our eyes to that invisible world by purifying our heart. And that's through the sacrament of confession. That's how we see. And I don't think people are are are, are availing themselves. And, and if I'm being critical, God forgive me. Um, and God knows I don't see as much as I should. But I always refer to this the line in scripture, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see the face of God. And in order to see that invisible world, we have to purify our hearts. What do you think? Think about a glass of water. And, and think that if you pour some ink or some dark substance into the water and you hold the glass up, 
you cannot see what's on the other side of that glass because the the there is there is the the water has been polluted by some dark ink. But what if you purified that water? You took all that ink out and made it crystal clear water. Well, then you're looking and you could see right beyond that glass to what's on the other side. The same thing happens to our souls with sin. Sin covers our eyes. It puts a scale on our eyes. It, it pollutes ourselves. And so when we go to confession and when we uh, confess our sins and when we're, we repent and when we're forgiven, that has the effect of removing that ink from the glass. And we could see with more clear eyes. It's like Christ said about taking the log out of your, your own eye so you could see the splinter in your brother's eye. So yes, um, and also making use of the sacraments that are given to us, not just confession, but, but by taking the Eucharist as much as we can, or as often as we can, every day if we can. You, take, you are what you eat. If you take God into you every single day, it's going to have an effect on your ability to see the invisible world. You're wearing glasses, I see. Imagine if those glasses had divine lenses, lenses that if you put on the glasses, you could see all the invisible realities. You could see grace. You could see, you could see angels. You could see love and honor and dignity and all these realities that are invisible to us. That's what happens when you, when you uh, eat Christ's body every day and when you when you repent as often as you can. You begin to get these special spiritual glasses that you put on your face and you begin to see the world in a different way. You begin to see the whole world, not just the visible world. Anthony DeStefano, this has been a great conversation. As always, we love having you on the show. Anthony's new book is um, How the Angels Got Their Wings. That's out from Sophia Institute Press. Anthony, uh, we have about a minute left. Let our audience know, what do you got in the pipeline? What do you got going on? Where can people find out more about you? Um, and, um, you know, and everything you're doing. Sure. I have a website, www.anthonydestefano.com. If you can make it through that Italian name, you can find all my books. There's something like 25 of them. Uh, you know, I'll be promoting my three Christmas books that are already out. I'll be promoting them this year, but next year I'll have an adult book, um, a Catholic version of a bestseller I wrote a few years ago called the travel guide to life. The Catholic version is called A Travel Guide to Life Everlasting. It's for adults. It'll be coming out from Sophia Press. I don't yet know what month. And I'll have a Random House children's book coming out next year, as well as a Christmas book coming out next year in 2023 called Christmas in Heaven. So there'll be three opportunities, if you really want, uh, three opportunities to see me again next year. All right. Well, we're Love definitely going to gonna have you. We're going to have you back on the show. We're going to we're going to help you. We're going to have great conversations like this one. We're going to help you to promote your books because they're important. And like I said, we're going to have you on our social media show, and we'll we'll, we'll take down Sam Harris and uh, and the rest of that Harvard oh, group. Yeah. And we'll discuss your your prior book. And just to let the audience know, in case they're interested, what was what's the title of you, the book you wrote on atheism? Inside the Atheist Mind: Exposing the Religion of Those Who Say There Is No God. And when that book out came out. The day it came out, there were a thousand negative reviews on Amazon.com. A thousand. People didn't even read the book. That's how you know it was good. <laughs> That's how I know it's a good book. <laughs> Anthony DeStefano, thank you again for joining us at the front line. We'll see you soon, brother. Definitely Thanks for having me. Thank you. Very thank quick. You. And we want to thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. As always, download the app, share it with your friends if you like all of our content. And if you don't mind, 
Uh, help Joe and I out on social media. Like, subscribe, share, whether you see us on YouTube, Facebook, whatever the case might be. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.